Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So, Psalms 59. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, Amiktan, when so had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me, look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rose yourself to punish all the nations, show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and they prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords, and they think, who can hear us? But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. You are my strength. You watch for you. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. But do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might uproot them and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in your wrath. Consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and they prowl about the city. They wander about for food, or how if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. Fantastic. Okay, Katie, over to you. And I'm going to pray for you. So uh, Katie's going to preach to us. This is Katie, uh, if you don't know her. her first time preaching, so it's really exciting. So let me just pray. Father, we thank you for Katie. We thank you for Psalm 59. We thank you for David a man of prayer, a man who processes emotions, a man of honesty. And uh, we pray today that you would teach us what it is to find our security and our refuge in you, just as David did. So bless Katie as she preaches and be with us as we hear. May your Holy Spirit rest upon us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Um, Hello, everyone. It's great to be back in Dublin. I was... Um, up in Northern Ireland for a lot of uh, quarantine, so it's great to be back, and hello to everyone online, Um, great to have everyone joining with us. Um, We've been looking at Sam's under pressure um, for the past couple of weeks, and so I have the privilege of sharing some thoughts from Sam 59. I wonder, has there been a moment in your life where you felt totally weak, totally vulnerable, maybe where your very life has been in danger? Has there been a moment or a situation where you really keenly felt the fragility of your life? I remember feeling like this after my housemate rang me to tell me that there had been a fire in our flat at university. 
Someone had been frying chips and the pan had caught fire um, and it destroyed the entire kitchen. We had to move out for a couple of days as, as things got fixed. Uh, I think the shock of realising that something so normal like cooking dinner could so quickly escalate into something life-threatening shook me. We hate feeling our weakness and our vulnerability. As humans, we love to feel safe and secure. We build houses, then we put locks on our doors, then we plant hedges, and then we put up fences, and then we install gates, and then we feel safe. But what happens when our defenses are broken into? When someone intrudes and reminds us that we are more vulnerable than we like to think? This is certainly what the coronavirus pandemic has done. It has woken us up to our vulnerability. It has pulled back the curtain on our mortality, and we've been shaken. Or perhaps in your life there is a broken or an abusive relationship, or maybe a physical or a mental illness, a job loss, or just fear for the future, which really threatens your sense of security. So how do we respond? How should we respond? So let's look at what we can learn from Psalm 59 and how we can find security in God amidst the insecurity. So I'm just going to ask God um, to help us again um, before we dig in. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us and you speak to us. Give us hearts to hear what you have to say this, um, this afternoon. Amen. Amen. So how do we find security in God in times of trouble? Well, there are four questions I think this psalm teaches us to ask. Uh, yeah. In times of trouble, have you fought fear with faith in God's word? In times of trouble, have you asked God for help? In times of trouble, have you remembered God's righteous judgment against sin and evil? And in times of trouble, have you remembered the love of Christ? So let's look at what's going on in this psalm. If you were here for the last sermon series in the life of David, then you'll remember that Saul, the previous king of Israel whom God had rejected, was now jealous of David, God's newly anointed king. So Psalm 59 are the words which spill from David's lips as he realizes that Saul has commanded a gang of murderous thugs to lie in wait outside his house, plotting to kill David. David finds himself in an extremely vulnerable situation. This psalm teaches us that as a Christian, we will face difficult and fearful circumstances in our lives. David was royalty chosen by God, and look what he faced. Years spent on the run, living in caves, fleeing from a murderous king. It certainly wasn't a bundle of laughs. A life with God will mean a life where fear and faith will exist alongside one another. And yet, what David teaches us is that the fears can actually spur us on to deeper faith. And that ultimately, faith has the power to drive out fear. So fears can actually spur us on to deeper faith, but ultimately, faith has the power to drive out fear. Let's see how the structure of the psalm reveals this to us. Look with me at verses six to eight, where David tells God about the threat he faces from his enemies who return at evening and they're prowling like dogs. He repeats it again in verse 14. The repetition demonstrates that this threat is playing on David's mind. It's going round in his head. The threat even seems to grow as by verse 15 he feels as though they are absolutely hungering for his death. 
But notice how David deals with these fears each time. He does not linger on them, but immediately follows them with a statement of faith in God. Look with me. When he's feeling weak, he says in verse 9, You are my strength. I will watch for you. His fears spur him, his fears spur him on to faith. And it is faith in God as his strength that has the final say. The last two paragraphs of the psalm are David singing the praises of God, declaring that he is secure because God is his fortress. So when your circumstances make you feel your vulnerability, bring those emotions of fear, despair, or even hopelessness to God in prayer, but do not allow them to have the last say. Attack those fears with the word of God, which we are told in Ephesians chapter six is the sword of the spirit. Counteract the lies that the devil would have you believe about yourself or about God with the promises about who God is. You are not abandoned, for he says he will never leave you or forsake you. You are not unworthy, for you are perfectly righteous in Christ. You do not lack hope, for one day everything will be made new. So fight fear with faith in the promises of God's word. He is your strength and security. At times, though, we can feel so weak that we find it hard to lift this sword that God has given us. God's promises maybe even seem hollow. Well, even then, we can ask God for his help. Like the man who asks Jesus to heal his mute child, we can also cry, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Which leads us on to the second question this psalm teaches us to ask, which is, in your trouble, have you asked God for help? Have you noticed that this is how David opens the psalm? He doesn't open with vibrant words of praise or a ritualistic formula. He cries out to God from the depths of his heart, deliver me. Then verse two, save me. And finally in verse four, help me. He's at rock bottom and God is the one he turns to for help. In the women's group here at CCC, we're reading a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And the author writes, Satan's main strategy with God's people has always been to whisper, don't call, don't ask, don't depend on God to do great things. You'll get along just fine if you rely on your own cleverness and energy. The truth of the matter is that the devil is not terribly frightened of our human efforts and credentials, but he knows his kingdom will be damaged when we lift up our hearts to God. Trouble is one of God's greatest servants because it reminds us how much we continually need the Lord. Trouble is one of God's greatest servants. It is God's megaphone to us. It reminds us afresh that we need him. God is waiting for you to ask for his help. So have you? Have you got down on your knees and asked God to rescue you? Have you asked him to bring peace and healing to the situation that you're in? Have you asked him to work in your heart to bring transformation? Have you cried out to him or have you cried on the shoulder of another person? Have you run into his arms or run to the medicine cabinet? Now, I'm not saying that these things are bad. Indeed, God may use them to bring answers to prayer. But did you actually bother going to him in the first place? What is your instinctive reaction when you find yourself in trouble? To pray? or to find a way of fixing things yourself. Again, it is not bad to try and find sensible solutions to our problems, 
Indeed, David doesn't wait around in his house praying all night. We actually find out that his wife helps him to escape by climbing out of a window. So yes, they find a solution, but not before David prays. Prayer is powerful, and God uses it to bring change, sometimes in our circumstances, but always in our hearts. After telling us to use the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul then encourages us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So in your weakness, have you asked God for help? And have you asked others to ask God too? There's a prayer team here at CCC that would love to pray for you. Use them, ask me, pray with someone in your city group. We would love to pray. And as you do cry out for help, remember who it is that you're asking. This is your loving heavenly father. Jesus tells us that we need to be more like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. And think about a child. They enter this world and the first thing they do is they open their mouth and they cry. Mm -hmm. That cry is a signal for help, a cry for nourishment and comfort. The mother does not scorn her child's cry, but lovingly draws them close and nourishes and comforts the child, providing security through her presence. As we cry out to our Heavenly Father, He does not scorn us, but draws us near, His very children, into the security of His presence. And not only that, but David reminds us in verse 5 that our Father is the Lord God Almighty. The one who allows you to come to him in your time of trouble is the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, the living, breathing creator of this universe. Ask him for help. Find your security in him. Now on to the third question that this psalm teaches us to ask, which is, in your trouble, have you remembered the righteous judgment of God against sin and evil? Trouble can hit us in this life without rhyme or reason. It seems unjust that you lose family members to the virus which has only temporarily disabled others. It is unjust when people bully you at work or in school or call you names because of the color of your skin or mock you because of your faith. And there's something in us that shouts, this is unfair, what have I done to deserve it? Like David, we feel a sense of anger at the injustice we face and we can bring it to God. Look at verse 4, where David indignantly cries, I have done nothing wrong, for no sin of mine they attack. David presumably means that he's not sinned towards these people in any way that warrants this attack, rather than it being a total claim of sinlessness. But after bringing these emotions to God, he goes on to actively call down the judgment of God. He asks to see this injustice punished. Now, we may not always find it comfortable to dwell on the judgment of God, but we must dwell on this truth. Otherwise, we neither understand just how weak we are, nor do we understand just how secure we are in Christ. David actually pleads with God to punish his enemies, but he says a weird thing. In verse five, he says, rise yourself to punish all the nations. He refers to the nations again in verse eight, declaring that God will scoff at them. Does this simply refer to the men waiting to kill David? I don't think so. When David asks God to show no mercy to wicked traitors, he is not simply talking about the punishment of his own personal enemies, but all those who reject the rule and the reign of God on this earth. The rebellion described in Psalm 59 against God's chosen king, David, 
is actually representative of the cosmic rebellion against God, the one true king. So the injustice that David feels points to the injustice of a world in which people choose to go their own way, ignoring the rule of God in this world. Therefore, when we come across these words, we too must remember the bigger picture. The trouble we face represents a broken world living with the consequences of human rebellion against God. But let your troubles be a reminder of the day when the rightful king will return to fully institute his rule in a a renewed world where there will be no more suffering, death, crying, or pain. Rejoice in remembering that when the king returns, he will not simply forget the trials and the evils of this current world. He will come as judge and restitution will be made. Evil will be punished and accounted for, as will rebellion against him. And through this judgment, like David says, it will be known that God rules over Jacob. So when you face trouble and injustice, remember that God's got it. A price will be paid for the injustice you face. As we realize that Psalm 59 points us to the bigger picture of cosmic rebellion against God, the one true king, we think about these words in the mouth of King Jesus. Look again in your Bibles. Verse 2 reminds us how mere humans plotted to take the life of the king. We then reminded in verse 3 how the conspiracy centered around one of Jesus' closest friends. Then in verse 4, we hear how Jesus might also have pleaded with his father, I have done no wrong, help me. And suddenly, we begin to feel the weight of the injustice he faced as he hung on that cross, paying the price both for the injustice that you face, but also paying the price for the injustice that you have contributed to in your personal acts of rebellion against the one true righteous king. And if you're not sure that you've ever rebelled against him, take a look at what it is that deserves punishment. In verse 12, David asks God to punish his enemies for the curses and the lies they have uttered, as well as their pride. I'm sure all of us can find evidence of these in our lives. And David tells us that they are seeds of rebellion, that they are treason and they are worthy of punishment. So what do we do as we realize our absolute and utter helplessness before our righteous judge, the one true king? Well, fourthly and finally, we must remember the love of Christ. Have you remembered the one who loved you enough that he chose to face trouble and injustice for your sake and for mine? Have you remembered the one who we are told in Galatians in chapter 3 redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us as he hung on the cross? Have you remembered the one who, because he loved you, took the punishment that your sins deserved? Have you remembered the one who, in love, gave up the comfort of his heavenly kingdom to serve you amidst the dirt on this earthly one? If you have accepted Christ's sacrifice, received his forgiveness, and you desire to live with him, You are now his, for you have become one with Christ. As Paul writes again in Galatians, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And therefore, you know that on the day when God's wrath appears, Jesus will be your only security. He will be your fortress, your shield. 
He will be the only one on whom you can rely. Your achievement will not save you. Your money will not save you. Nor even your good reputation or your worthy deeds will be able to save you. On that day, you will sing of the strength of Jesus. You will sing of the love of Jesus. You will shout the praises of Jesus. David didn't know if he would live or die when he sang the words of Psalm 59. Yet look at verse 16, where he confidently declared that in the morning he would sing of God's love. He knew that not even death would separate him from God's love. And this reminds me of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see it? Nothing. Not even death can separate us from Christ. Not your biggest threat, not that situation or person who makes you feel at your weakest. Nothing can destroy you if you have accepted Christ's sacrifice and humbly asked for his help. But our security in Christ is not just something that we hang on to for the end of our lives. David was able to sing of God's love, not only in the morning, in the future, but also in the present, amidst the trouble. So life with Christ is not just something that will keep your eternal future secure, but it also affects your present. It means that whether we succumb to the virus, or we lose our job, or we find our kindnesses towards others spurned, in Christ we remain secure and safe. His love surrounds us and envelops us as a mighty fortress. Therefore we face these threats, knowing his love, his attentive ear, his loving care, his faithfulness, and also looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment when evil will once and for all be conquered and Jesus will reign, the true and beautiful King. So, in your trouble, have you fought fear with faith in God's word? In your trouble, have you cried out to God for help? In your trouble, have you remembered God's righteous judgment of sin and evil? And in your trouble, have you remembered the love of Christ? You are entirely secure in Christ. Use the weapons that God has given you, faith in his word, prayers of help, the hope of his righteous judgment and his unconditional love to defeat the enemies which try to threaten you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your unwavering grace and your kindness towards us. Help us to know that no matter what we face, you are our ultimate security. Help us to know and experience us Help us to know and experience this each day um, by your side. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.